This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Offense podcast sponsored by FanDuel.com, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. Uh, I'm very pleased to bring in uh, my guest today. It's Mark Stopa. He is the proprietor. I don't know if you call him the proprietor, but he's the proprietor of the Stopa Law Firm. I was going to say you were the proprietor of the Stopa Law Firm League, but you don't really own the league. You're just sponsoring where the Stopa Law Firm is. I guess it's probably a, a marketing expense for you. But, Mark, welcome to the podcast. But I want to start with Survivor for week one. Sounds good. You, you had it right, Chris. I do own the league, but, you know, that's beside the point, I guess. I'm ready on Survivor. You don't, yeah, you're going to get owned in the league. I think that's as, clo- that's as close of a formulation as we can get. But we'll get to that. That's segment three. I want to talk Survivor right now. And specifically, week one is hilarious because I write the column. And normally, you know, there's some 13-point favorite there that may be heavily owned. It's a question of do you go with the chalk or do you go with hoping there's a big upset and get the big payout when everyone else loses on the chalk. But that's not the case this week. The biggest favorite on the entire board is the Patriots at seven. And after that, it's the Packers at six and a half and the Cowboys at six. And after that, it's something that you normally don't touch, at least until like week 13 when it's desperation time, not week one. So what's your view on the slate, Mark? You know, I, I viewed the slate as I as I read your Survivor article on Riddlewire pretty similar to how you did in terms of there were two reasonable choices and nothing else was really reasonable at all. You're basically choosing between the Patriots and Packers. Any other pick is insane. And, you know, I have one of those two that I think is the right answer. It's close. I agree with you that it's close, but I have one that I think is the right answer, and you went the other way. So we can, I guess, debate that a bit. Yeah, I'm not like, you're an idiot for taking the Patriots because I don't, you know, I do think it's a bit of a coin flip. But give me a reason. I'm taking Green Bay over New England slightly. Tell me why you like New England. Okay, I like home teams. When it's close, I don't want to lose with the team on the road. Patriots are at home. The Packers are on the road. To me, that makes a difference. That's the first thing. Okay, next thing, division rivals. I don't like, if I can stay away from division rivals, those games tend to be a little more, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Packers, Bears, I, I, I would just as soon stay away from it for that reason. And then a third one that shouldn't really be part of the analysis. So it's a, a call it a throw in. 
I like the concept of winning with the Patriots on Thursday night. You get that over with. Your win's in the win column, and then you root for a whole bunch of bloodshed on Sunday. So that's that's how I break it down. I think the Patriots are the better choice. I'll, I'll let you state your case. Uh, there's no doubt that there's uh, a lot of joy in having gotten through already and just laughing your ass off at everybody else sweating it out. I, I totally agree with that 100%. It's not really a basis, as you said, for choosing – but it's just a little side benefit if you do take that team. Uh, the flip side of that is losing on Thursday, and you are now out of your survivor pool before the regular season even begun in earnest. So there's that. Right? Okay. So here's why I like the Packers better. Um, I agree it's on the road, but the Bears, to me, could be a doormat. And all Sean Jeffrey is questionable with the calf. If he plays, he may not be 100%. If he doesn't play, I mean, what do they have? I mean, Kevin White is out for you know at least half the season. Um, you're talking about a team with no real weapons against a Packers team that's going to put up points against a weak defense. They just cut Tim Jennings, one of their starting corners. I mean, this is this is a team that wasn't good, got worse in the offseason, and got a bad coach to add it in. Uh, and I just don't think that John Fox, and I don't think he's a good coach, is going to get this team ready and sharp enough to play with Green Bay. Now, I don't like Mike McCarthy either, but I think Aaron Rodgers and that team is going to be ready. I don't like they lost Jordy Nelson, but... You know, I, th- I, I really think Rodgers made Nelson m- much more than the other way around. So I just think, you know, the Steelers are a little scarier to me than the Bears, put it that way. I don't think the Steelers are scary, especially without Le'Veon Bell. Marquise Pouncey is, is out. But I still think with Roethlisberger, who's an elite quarterback, uh, you're running a little risk that he gets hot. Uh, and the Patriots defense doesn't have Darrell Rivas anymore, Vince Woolfork anymore. Uh, I'm a little bit uh, nervous about their defense. I, I mean, I hear you there. Martavis Bryant is out, though, too. I just can't see the Steelers w- winning that game in New England. I just can't see that happening. And that Steelers defense is really, really atrocious. I mean, I know preseason, we don't put so much, you know, there's only so much you can put into that. But in the third preseason game, E.J. Manuel had a perfect quarterback rating. Third preseason game is when all the Steelers starters were playing. Perfect quarterback rating by E.J. Manuel. That's how bad the Steelers defense is. They're atrocious. Brady's going to light them up. I just can't see the Steelers winning, especially with the injuries. No Bell, no Pouncey, no Martavis Bryant. So, to me, the Patriots are the right choice. It is a close call, but to me, they're the right choice. Okay, you and I should have a side bet. I I think we'll do our first side bet. We're only about four or five minutes into the podcast. Five minutes. But uh, let's do $20. I'll bet you that these Bears finish with a lower – they finish lower in total defense than the Steelers this year. Okay, that's fair. 20 bucks. Okay, this is a small one to start it off. Because I think as bad as the Steelers D is, the Bears defense is going to be bad too. All right, we can can just touch on some of the other ones, some of the reasons why I'm not messing around. The Cowboys are basically the same spread, six points instead of six and a half with Green Bay. They're at home. But I don't trust that defense. I would never go against my own team, the Giants. So that's not – I'm not a reliable sort of source in that game because I can't – that's just a rule in Survivor. You never, ever, ever – go against your own team unless it's for like 200 grand and it's like so by far the right choice but the worst thing you could do is alienate yourself from your own team and get knocked out of survivor by your own team especially when it's clearly not the best pick on the board i mean that's another one of those division rivalry games i wouldn't be shocked to see the giants win even though the spread is six close to what it is with the packers and bears i just can't i i wouldn't be nearly as surprised i I just think you got to stay away from that game week one is not a time to be cute Okay, and then you got the Seahawks in St. Louis. 
Now, the Seahawks always struggle with St. Louis, and I just, you know, I, I, taking them on the road in, in a venue where it's not that easy, the Seahawks don't have a great offensive line, I don't want any part of it. T- totally agree, and and I'm a little concerned about the Seattle defense. Uh, Cam Chancellor out, Earl Thomas is hurting. Uh, they lost a couple guys to free agency. I mean, they still got some name star players, but you know, little concern there, especially on the road. All right, Broncos host the Ravens. I like the Broncos to cover in Mile High, and we'll get to the the against the spread portion. Uh, but and I think the Ravens are going to be a good team. I even took them at 18 to one in Vegas. It's probably a crappy number because I was at the stupid Bellagio and I didn't really shop around where, you know, I didn't really have time to like go, you know, to the, the, uh, what's that? What's that? Uh, it used to be the Hilton, but it's like the LVS or something. Uh, anyway, I didn't go there to get like a real price on it. So I got the Ravens at 18 to one, but I just think the Ravens are well coached. They're a tough team. I'm not messing with them in week one. Yeah. I, I- I, I agree with that. I, I, I don't like the Ravens. I picked the Broncos to cover too, but that that's not a game that we can be messing around with here. Okay, the Dolphins D just added in Dominican Sue. You know, they just drafted Devontae Parker. He'll probably be a couple weeks before he's really integrated. But this is a better team than it was last year, and it wasn't bad last year. They're playing a doormat in Washington, an organization that's rotten from the top down. But still, Ryan Tannehill on the road, I'm not doing that week one either. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there, and and you know, there's just there's just too much too much uncertainty there. That that's the type of game. I mean, Washington's not going to go winless, right? It's the type of game that you know, if they even if they finish with four or five wins, probably most of those are going to be at home, and it's not like the Dolphins are a great team. So you got to stay away from that too. Okay, I think the Bengals are absolutely pound the Raiders, but again, Dalton on the road, West Coast late game. I, I don't want to risk my life on it. Yeah, totally agree. Another another road situation. I don't like the East Coast to West Coast travel either. Okay, and then finally the Jets. Um, I, I've had a couple people email me and say, am I crazy for taking the Jets? And I said, you're not crazy, uh, but it's the Jets. I mean, come on. You know, I mean, the Browns suck, but, you know, how, how many teams have looked horrendous? The Bengals, uh, Dalton's rookie year looked like such a doormat coming out of the preseason. They made the playoffs, okay? Are you really going to trust the Jets in the event that the Browns really aren't as bad as they seem? Here's here's my thought process there, and I I would be really surprised to see Cleveland win, but I don't want to lose my survivor life on a what's going to be a low scoring game. That's the lowest over under Vegas has in the week. On where it could be something like you know maybe the Browns get a kick return or an interception return or a punt return or something that that and they win you know thirteen to ten or something like that. I mean. I don't trust a low-scoring game like that. That's probably going to be close. That's not one I want to bank on for Survivor. You know, that's a good point. You want sort of if spread being equal. In some, well, it cuts both ways. Spread being equal, you kind of want to hire over-under because you can, as you said, like overcome more fluky bad plays. At the same time, when the spread's equal and the total low, is lower, that means that the percentage of points projected to be scored is much bigger for the favorite, right? I mean, if the, if the over-under is 40 and the line's 13, you know, that really means that the favorite's projected on a percentage basis to be incredibly dominant. Whereas the line were 13, but the over-under were 55, you know, they're still expected to win by a lot, but they're not supposed to, but percentage of points scored, they're not necessarily as dominant. So it's just an interesting, it kind of cuts both ways. It does, but you make it's less likely that one fluke play ends your survivor season, and that would be my fear with taking the Jets: is that you know one or two fluke plays, fluke bounces, and what's going to be a low-scoring game can end your season. I don't want to have that happen. Yeah, and you're you're dealing with like a journeyman backup quarterback. I mean, he's he's a good backup, 
but it's you know you're not you're not really uh, casting your lot with anybody that you can really trust. All right, Mark, I think that's good for Survivor Week One. I, uh, you know, look, I don't want to lose Week One, man. That's just you know that's just a miserable miserable fate. It's happened to me once in the uh, 16 years I've done this. You, you know, we should too say don't save teams. Play the best team. That's it. Don't save them. Don't look down the road. Yeah, as a strategy point. Play the best team, and the best team means the team that has that optimizes two factors: likelihood of winning, and also the payoff. Should you win, and payoff means obviously, you know, the the team that's not owned by a majority of people. Because if that team loses, you really move up in your survivor pool. This week, that doesn't really apply, right? I mean, the Packers are like twenty-two percent owned, something like that, pretty low, and the Patriots are like fourteen. It, it's so low that neither neither really rises to the level of oh, you got to worry about other people losing. This is just about getting through. Yeah, t- totally agree. There's no pot odds. My point is just, you know, if you think the Patriots are the best, don't say anything. Just use them now. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the games against the spread and handicap some of these. Sounds good. This podcast, East Coast Offense, is sponsored by FanDuel, the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and payouts than any other site. Paying out over $75 million bucks a week this fantasy football season. Building a team's easy. You can just pick your players, stay under the cap, sit back on Sunday, and watch your team play. Entries start at just a buck. Anyone can play. I actually have quite a few teams already logged in. I hope I uh, don't have any injured guys in there. I've been sending them all throughout the uh, month of August and early September. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner, use my code LIS, and sign up now. Um, it actually helps out this podcast because they think they track how many people sign up. So uh, it's a way to support the podcast if you're into that kind of thing. And there's a special offer for new users. For every dollar you deposit, FanDuel will match it with up to 200 bucks. They get earned gradually as you play. It's a bonus of up to $200. Offer is only good for the first 50 people that use my code LISS, L-I-S-S, today. Don't forget to use my code LISS. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. Welcome back to East Coast Offense. This is Chris Liss. My guest is Mark Stopa. We just talked a little Survivor. Now let's move on to handicapping some of Week 1's games. Mark, I did something really uncharacteristic this week. I picked 12 favorites. Am I losing my mind here? Well, I don't know that you had one to begin with, but... Nice. <laughs> if that's the way that it works out, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And as, as I read your, your, the intro to your article, I, I kind of like the concept of, you know, you just go by your own feel and you, and, and you pick accordingly. No, there's no magic formulas or secrets to any of this. I mean, the lines are too tight to have any of that stuff work. So just go with your gut, and I, I like that approach. Don't you think, like, those formulas and the, oh, let's fade the public and whatever sort of rules of thumb that you accumulate over time, don't you think those are kind of a crutch and they kind of prevent you from just being confronted with, look, every game's different. I've got to make a call. And I don't have some sort of comfortable rule of thumb to just be like, oh, in this case, you always do this. That makes you feel very satisfied because you've got a reason now to do something. Whereas if you just have to kind of aggregate all the disparate factors, which every game is its own unique set of disparate factors. It's tough. It's taxing. We don't really know how to add all this stuff up, all the infinite variables that go into a football game. And so I feel like everybody wants some sort of crutch, but I think you actually do better when you ditch all those and you just say, okay, I've watched football for a while. Here's what I think is going to happen. It may be wrong, but this is my impression, and I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to keep observing. I'm just going to trust that. I like the word trust that you use there in the end because that's just what I was thinking as you were saying that. You have to be able to, on some level, just trust yourself with this stuff, trust your instinct, and because, you know, there is no – 
fade the public or go ugly or there is no magic formula, certainly not one that's going to work all the time or even most of the time or even a majority of the time. So it's just kind of, you know, we've, I've done this not nearly as many years as you have, but enough to know you just kind of got to get a feel for it. And, you know, if something's working for a while for me, I try to stick with that. And if something's not working, I try to, you know, like sometimes I'll look at Massey Peabody and sometimes there's a little bit of stuff and a little bit of an advantage you can get in there by reading lines and but essentially i'm just you know going with my instinct watching as many games as i can and going by feel and see how it goes all right so this week i made my uh, best bet the jets and i just think you know again maybe the browns will surprise us the way the Bengals did a couple years ago and teams do every year coming off of a terrible preseason a disappointing offseason a coach that you know, seems to be so fickle that, you know, one week a guy's a starter, the next weekend he's released uh, or borderline on, you know, on the chopping block. Um, and then you have Josh McCown, who, you know, really is a career backup who had one four or five game stretch in Chicago under ideal conditions. And suddenly he's got a starting career again, but probably shouldn't. Um, I just think that, you know, the Jets defense should eat the Browns offense alive. But am I wrong about that? Uh, I, I can't see a scenario other than returns where the Browns score. They have an atrocious set of skill position players, and the Jets' defense is really good. The, the Browns' only thing that they're even decent at on offense is maybe maybe running at a decent offensive line, and now that Alex Mack is healthy, unlike last year where he got hurt. But the Jets' run D is really good. So, you know, I, I saw you predicted your score in your column as Jets 19-9, to the Browns not scoring a touchdown. I, I think that's very fair. No, so. no, Mark, I predicted a touchdown on the safety. Oh, uh, okay, fair enough. So, all right. So, you know, I, I feel Fitzpatrick's got a safety in him this game. All right, so <laughs> that, that, was my, that was my top pick, okay? Who's your top pick this week? Who's your best bet? Uh, I, I took the, the Patriots as my best bet. Um, I, I just, you know, I just see Brady going, I just see Brady going crazy and the Steelers not being able to keep up given their, that, I mean, they're missing three significant guys on offense and I, and I, Brady's just going to go crazy. So I, I see that as like a 45, 28 type game. Yeah. You know, you, you have a lot of eggs in that basket. You're going to have a very unpleasant, uh, Friday and Saturday if the Patriots get upset. I will, but I feel confident about it. You know, I even put so I even have uh, three Patriots starting in my Stopa League, which we can talk about later. But you know, I just it's hard for me to see that any other way than the Patriots just going crazy. Yeah, I tried to take the Steelers and I couldn't. I actually originally wrote it up with the Steelers, and I just thought, you know, I just don't believe that. I don't believe it. I want to say the underdog's going to win. They're going to beat up on the obnoxious cheating Patriots, but I just don't believe that. So I didn't do it. Other games I really like. I like the Bengals, not for Survivor, but just laying the wood in Oakland. Yeah, the cross country, whatever. The Bengals have a good offensive line. They have two very good running backs. They have an elite receiver, right? Their defense is above average. They're going to Oakland. It's, a, it's a, another organization that's just rotten from the top down. Derek Carr averaged five and a half yards per attempt. I don't know if you've heard me say this, but there is a bigger difference from the 31st-ranked YPA team, the Jaguars last year at 6.2, and the 32nd-ranked one, which is the Raiders, at 5.5, than there was between the 7th-ranked one, the Colts, at 7.7, and the 18th-ranked one last year, Andy Dalton and the Bengals, with zero healthy receivers at 7.1. There was a bigger drop-off from the Jaguars to Derek Carr than there was from Andrew Luck to Andy Dalton last year. To me, this is not the future of the franchise unless he makes a miraculous uh, growth spurt this year. And I just think they're going to be bad, really bad again. 
I mean, that, that could be, and, you know, I'm not going to fight you too much on this. I took the Raiders plus three and a half. I mean, I didn't feel a ton of confidence about it. I tend to, when I don't feel really strongly about it like you do, just kind of take the points, especially with a home team, you know, go ugly feel. They are traveling to the West Coast. Um, I mean, and it's also, you know, week one, I think the Raiders are going to be bad. Maybe they'll be better. I mean, they, they do have some pieces on defense, and maybe they can make it a close game. I'm, I'm not going to fight you too much, but I, 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 I certainly hear what you're saying. Okay, and the other one I really particularly liked was the Falcons getting three against Philly. For some reason, people have anointed Philly as like a Super Bowl contender, okay? And again, maybe Chip Kelly's a genius and he's made all the right moves. But look, he got rid of the whole team, right? I mean, no LaShawn McCoy, uh, no Jeremy Macklin. Deshaun Jackson was let go two years ago. They've got a whole new cast of guys. Um, and they're going on the road to a venue where the team isn't a great team, but they play a lot better at home. you got a veteran, very high-quality quarterback with an elite receiver and an old receiver that played together forever. I mean, to me, Atlanta's going to be in sync at home. They're going to put up points. They're going to score on this Eagles defense. Are the Eagles going to be crisp week one on the road with a new cast of characters? I don't know. And then laying points to boot, I, I really like the Falcons here. Well, I took the Eagles, and I'll fight you a bit more on this one. It's only only three, which is sort of negligible. I mean, not many NFL games are decided by one or two points. Um, and if it's three, it's a push, and that's fine. I, I, the Falcons are just not good. I mean, other than Julio Jones and, and Matt Ryan, I mean, what can you point to them that's good? Their what? defense is terrible. Their offensive line is terrible. They have no running game. Uh, and I do tend to think that the Eagles will be crisp. It's in a it's in a dome indoors, uh, and and the Falcons' defense is bad. So I see the Eagles winning that game. And I would have thought about it more if it was three and a half, but at just three, I'll happily lay that one. Yeah, you know, I don't know that they have a bad running game this year. I mean, they're gonna they may have a good running game this year. And you know, Tevin Coleman came in; he's a, a big time college guy. He's very fast. You know, Kyle Shanahan's taken over the offensive coordinator duties. He's been you know, the architect of pretty strong running games. I don't know that their running game, you know, when they had Steven Jackson at age 56 as their starting running back, I get it. You know, or Michael Turner when he was over the hill. But they've got some new blood in there. I wonder that their running game is going to be bad. And maybe the D is bad. But, you know, defenses and offensive lines, those two units to me are the least predictable year to year. You know what I mean? You know, quarterbacks, skill, you know, elite receivers, quarterbacks, those guys, you know, they're good when they're healthy. Matt Ryan, you can pretty much put it in the bank. But defense, offensive line, you know, those are the things where I'd, I, w- I wouldn't be so sure. But have they made any changes on the offensive line? I don't think they have. Yeah, I don't know enough about it. They, they drafted, I can't remember his name, the guy in the first round last year, and I thought he was okay. And I don't know what else they did this year. But, you know, even, if, even with similar personnel, those things change a lot. I mean, the Ravens had some injuries 2013. Their offensive line was abysmal the year that Ray Rice uh, kind of fell off the map before. Uh, he decided to commit some domestic assault. And then Bernard Pierce, who everyone liked that year, was also terrible. And then last year, Justin Forsett, a career journeyman, has a massive year getting five yards of carry because the offensive line is suddenly great, right? So these things change pretty fast. Um, all right, we disagree on that. What else did you like? What other games did you like? You know, I really liked the, the, the Rams getting four at home against Seattle. Um, I, and... and 
I'm, we all know that Seattle's much better home than on the road. If you just blindly took them every week, you know, went with Seattle at home and against them on the road the last couple of years, you'd be doing pretty well. I also think that, you know, we're starting to see cracks in the Seattle defense. And this is what happens when you have a great defense over a period of years, right? Everybody wants to get paid. All the stars want to get paid. And you can't pay everybody under the salary cap. So you wind up having these small losses here and there. And I think we're seeing that with Cam Chancellor. I don't think that's a small loss at all that he's not there. Uh, I'm really concerned about Earl Thomas that he still hasn't hit or tackled at all, uh, even with all offseason to fix that labor issue. I mean, that's half their secondary. The secondary was the strength of the defense, and half of it is not right, not the same. They also lost, uh, I, don't, I can't remember his name right now, defensive tackle who had been good. A couple of their, their, their guys were unhappy about that. So you start seeing defections and, and that sort of thing. That's not maybe not quite the same unit as before. And that's not the type of stuff that I think would show up in a line or that Joe Public is going to you know, know about or take into account in the betting that may take you know four, six, eight weeks for people to say, hey, maybe that defense isn't as good as we thought that it was. So maybe there's a chance for some value there by fading that a bit in September, especially on the road. So that that's how I see that one. Yeah, I took I took the Rams too. I'm not as strong on it. I, I think the the Jimmy Graham acquisition is also a little overrated. I don't think he's going to be this amazing star. I think he's going to make some plays for them. He's going to be helpful, but I don't think you know them getting Jimmy Graham to me moves the over under win total. Say say they were 11 before that. I'm not moving them to 11 and a half because they got Jimmy Graham. Yeah, I agree with that. They also gave up their starting center in that trade to do right. that. So you yes. know, got to see how that works out. Right. All right, and their offensive line wasn't great to begin with. All right, so those are your anything else that you really like this week? Any other picks? I mean, those were the two that I wrote about in the staff picks column that I felt the strongest about. Um, and there's none others that I would go put my own money on for you know that sort of thing. Um, I, I sort of I sort of like the Jaguars as a go ugly getting th- getting more than a field goal at home in a low scoring game, but you know. Um, if I had to talk, if I had to go fight for another one, it'd probably be that one. Yeah, I took I took the Jags, but barely. I had the Panthers winning by three, and the line is three and a half. All right, Mark, let's take another break, and then uh, I want to talk to you about some general fantasy, general football stuff, and also the uh, Stovall Law Firm League. Sounds good. Back to the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss. I am talking to Mark Stopa, one of RotoWire's columnists. First, uh, Mark, I want to talk about a quarterback. I, I wrote in my East Coast Offense predictions that I thought Ben Roethlisberger would have a perfectly fine year. He's a very good real-life quarterback. He'll throw for 4,000 yards and 28 touchdowns or whatever he usually does. But I do not think he will be a top-10 fantasy quarterback, and you disagree with that. Okay. 4,000 yards. He threw for 4,900 yards last year, and that was with Martavis Bryant not really entering the fray until midway through the year. Which he's going to have again. <laughs> He's going to have 5,000 yards. That Steelers defense is atrocious. He's going to have 5,000 yards, um, and he's going to have 35 touchdowns easily, maybe 40. I mean, think about the makeup of that team, okay? You've got Antonio Bryant, who everyone views as, if not the top fantasy receiver, close to it. You've got Le'Veon Bell, who is on a per-game basis. He would have been the number one overall pick for sure if he weren't suspended for two weeks. You've got Bryant, who's an emerging downfield star. Um, I mean, Marcus Wheaton is just fine. I mean, nothing's special but he's fine i mean he's he he's got a serviceable tight end 
he's going to have a big season. He's a Hall of Fame player. He has, what's his career YPA? Like, what, 7.6 or 7.7, something insane like that? I mean, his year is going to be is going to be huge. I, I mean, as I look at their schedule and think about their games like this week, the, the, how many passing yards are there going to be between the two quarterbacks this week with, 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 with Brady and, and him? I mean, they're gonna, he's going to be throwing constantly. Uh, and I actually like that the Marquise Pouncey injury might actually help Roethlisberger stats because the the centers being out, in my view, tend to hurt the running game much more than it hurts the passing game. Yeah, a Pro Bowl center, though, is going to hurt the whole rhythm and cadence of the offense. I don't think it's good for him, just good for getting to the red zone and having more opportunities. I get what you're saying, but you got to understand the context of which he did last year. Last year, uh, nobody got hurt on his team, right? Nobody. Le'Veon Bell was healthy the whole year. Antonio Brown, I don't even remember him being on the injury report. Not once, not, you know, with a sore hamstring, with nothing, okay? I mean, this was a team that stayed completely healthy. Um, The offensive line was better than it had been. Uh, And then the defense was terrible. The defense was the worst it had been maybe in, I don't know, 30 years of the Steelers, okay? And it was bad the year before, too. But I think it really bottomed out last year. Now, it may not be a lot better uh, this year, but what if it's just a little bit better? Okay, I mean, that, you know, to having the, the numbers he put up last year were his career numbers. This guy's been around forever. He's never put up numbers like that. The one year that the defense is at its absolute worst and all of his offensive players pretty much stay healthy and play at their peak. I mean, I think there's some regression for Antonio Bryant no matter what. Nobody's projecting him for, you know, whatever, 129 catches again. So, you know, this was sort of like everything broke his way. Moreover, even with everything breaking his way, I mean everything breaking his way, uh, he only had 32 touchdowns. And you know what? 12 of those came in two games. Now, we don't, you know, we're not going to dock Peyton Manning for his four-touchdown game or Tony Romo for his four-touchdown game, so you can't just say those games didn't happen. They did. But I think more realistically, a, a big game where everything goes well is a four-touchdown game, right? So if those are four-touchdown games instead of six-touchdown games, which are just so rare in the NFL, he has 28 touchdowns, not 32, in the career year of his life. And he's been in the league a long time, okay? I see this team... You know, probably getting a little better on defense. The first-round pick from last year, Ryan Shazier, got hurt. Maybe he's better. Maybe that helps. Maybe the defense as a whole makes improvements. Teams that tend to be among the very worst at something in the year that aren't just terrible organizations like the Raiders or Redskins tend to improve, tend to figure out solutions to what went wrong. And if the defense gets, say, from 30th to 20th, that's a big difference. And if Antonio Brown maybe plays 15 games or maybe he – you know, plays all 16, but for four of those, he's na- he's battling some nagging problem. Um, I think that uh, I think it's likely that he regresses from last year, that he doesn't get better, which is what most people are projecting. Last year was not the career year. It's the new norm because prior to last year, the Steelers' defenses were always good, right? Think the Steelers. Who do you think? You think James Harrison and Troy Palomalu. Well, those guys aren't around. And so what happened last year is just going to continue again this year, except, and I'll give you that Antonio Brown can't play better than he did last year, right? But Le'Veon Bell is entering his, is young and is getting better and is entering his prime. He could be as good, but he won't be better. He and pretty damn Bryant is is and is only going to get better. Uh, the the suspension doesn't help, but he's only going to get better. Marcus Wheaton is only going to get better. I mean, those are three other core guys who are only going to get better. 
I, I don't see how you can say that they, the offense peaked a, at all. And, 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 I mean, Roethlisberger is going to have a crazy number of attempts. He's going to have 5,000 yards. I, I really don't see, uh, barring an injury, I don't see how he doesn't have 5,000 yards. And I don't see any basis to project any improvement out of the Steelers' defense at all. I mean, can you name three Steeler defenders? Well, it's, it's, not, think- about, it's, it's not about, well, you know, oh, they've got this new free agent who's going to kill it for them. It's about regression to the mean. If you're 30th or 31st or whatever they were in defense last year, it's very hard to repeat that. You're probably going to be 23rd or 22nd, you know, even just through just normal regression. You usually do not repeat. And also because the teams are incentivized to make changes and address things. It's not like you would just say, and again, unless it's the Raiders or a team that really is just out to lunch in terms of personnel and in terms of managing an organization, I just expect the Steelers, if you're going to say, throw a dart and let's bet over under for what their defense will finish, I'll say, you want to go worse than 24th, I'll take better than 24th. I'll bet that'll be the second side bet of the, of the podcast. I'll go 24th or higher. I'm with there, and I feel like you're saying the opposite of what you're saying about the Bears earlier, right? The Bears have been really atrocious for a couple of years on defense. Well, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't say the Bears will be 30th. I just say I'll take them uh, versus the Steelers. I just said, you know, it, it, I think it's safe to say both teams should regress positively to the mean, but we're going one versus the other. And now I'm just saying that you, you, we're taking the Steelers in a vacuum, and I'm saying bad defenses and good organizations – will get better. It may take two years. It may take three. It may be this year. We don't know. But I think that to expect them to be one of the absolute doormats of the league, which was what was necessary, that was a condition under which Roethlisberger had his career year, um, I, don't, you know, I don't think we can take that condition for granted. Fair enough. But his two six-touchdown games coincided with Bryant entering the lineup, and I think once he gets back in the lineup in particular, they're going to be explosive all year. But and whether Bryant it's twenty. Bryant disappeared down the stretch. They, he had sort of a big run for four or five games, uh, which included, I think, those six touchdown games in the middle of the season. And then down the stretch, he didn't do that much. Right. As a young player, he'll, he'll, he's only getting better. All right. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. So you and I disagree about Ben Roethlisberger. Um, I want to talk a little about the Stopa Law Firm League. Again, the Stopa Law Firm, you represent uh, homeowners who uh, have been foreclosed on by banks and sometimes very unjustly. Uh, and just talk just for a second about how uh, what you do and uh, and how you came to sponsor the league. I try to keep people in their houses and and I've been doing it for years. It's it's a heck of a lot of fun. It's very you know I try to help people. I and, and I try to spread the word about what we do. There's a lot of people who don't fight their cases, and you know sponsoring the league kind of parlays into that. And you guys are great about about talking about it, so I enjoy it. Yeah, and. You also uh, were pretty generous with the with the grand press. I think it could be a little higher though next year. I, I think we can both agree on that, Mark. Well, if if you got me onto you know NBC prime time, we'd make it the hundred thousand yeah. dollar league. This podcast <laughs> is going to crush NBC prime time pretty soon. You'll see. It's just it's just a matter <laughs> of time. Uh, but anyway, so we did this league, and it's a two QB. It's really a QB and a QB flex. Two tight ends, three receivers, two running backs. It's pretty deep. Twelve teams. I don't want to get into everybody's team, but. It's a different type of league where you have to actually, you know, guys like Blake Bortles who just don't get drafted in a, uh, if you think, oh, Blake Bortles is going to break out, and I don't, uh, you you know, that doesn't really, that information doesn't really help you in a 1QB 12-team league, right? I mean, what are you going to do with that information? You're never going to use him unless he already breaks out, but it'll be eight games before you start him over Eli Manning or whoever. And, you know, basically those those players, key players in the league, like, you know, starting quarterbacks aren't used, right? And so you kind of, 
we have a league that every quality player is important to uh, to be owned by somebody. And that it's a wonderful setup. I think every league should operate more like that. The more starters that you have, the more skill you bring into it, the more challenging it is, the more fun it is, the more it rewards the better players. I, you know, the leagues that have the standard, you know, one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, and a flex, that's just, I mean, one tight end, that's just boring. Add more to it, it makes it more fun. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's funny because I got Matt Ryan and Cam Newton, who I feel very good about, you know, as two very strong you know, reliably producing quarterbacks. But, I, you know, I think one of the fun things is to take a flyer one of those late quarterbacks. I want to ask you about a couple of them. Uh, your guy, Terod Taylor, wins the job in Buffalo. I know you're joking about him over email. But he's a running QB, which to me is, is the easiest way for a young, you know, untested, unpedigreed QB to do well, is to, is to be able to run. That, you know, the, the guys who are the pocket passers usually take a few years to get good, or at least a couple years where they should have a pedigree. Well, not always. Kurt Warner jumped right in. There's a couple of them like that. But I think the running QBs can offer instant value. Taylor has top ten upside. I mean, I don't think there's any dispute about that. I mean, he could easily rush for six or seven hundred yards and six, seven, eight touchdowns. I'm not saying that's likely necessarily, but he has the upside to do that. And if he posts those rushing numbers, even decent throwing, if he starts all 16 games, he's going to be a top 10 fantasy quarterback. Now, maybe the chances of that are only, you know, 25 or 30 percent, but, you know, and we can disagree on what that percentage is, but there's some percentage chance of that. I mean, he is crazy fast and obviously has some talent. So I'm also a Bills fan, so maybe I'm a little biased, but I love that Rex Ryan gave him the starting job, if only from the standpoint of we know those other guys stink, right? So let's at least go with the possible upside of the unknown. You know what's really sick is if he were good, and I don't know if he is good beyond being able to run. I mean, Sammy Watkins, Percy Harvin, that is not bad. I mean, those are two of the quickest guys in the league. And they both have their, their issues. You know, Sammy Watkins has been banged up a lot, as, and he was a rookie last year, um, and really just never really got completely healthy, I think, after the start of the season. Um, and Percy Harvin's always banged up, and he's, you know, the problem child. But super talented guys on the outside if, he ever, if Taylor ever proves to be a decent pocket passer. And Charles Clay is a decent tight end, too. I mean, I've said several times, you know, you couldn't name more than two or three teams that are more talented than the Bills from roster spots 2 to 52. It's that quarterback, number one, that's the, that's the issue. If he's a B-level level quarterback, they may be a Super Bowl contender. Now, that may be a stretch to think he's a B-level quarterback, but the rest of their roster, I mean, they have a top-five defense, and they have talent all over the place now on offense. I'm, I'm hopeful. Okay. And then what about Colin Kaepernick, another guy that I, you know, in a two QB league or even a one QB league where I waited forever and I got burnt. I was like, all right, I'll take Kaepernick. I think if Kaepernick doesn't lose the job, in other words, if he can play all 16 games because he's kept the job, because he's obviously competent enough, if he's competent enough to do that, if he doesn't really just fall off the cliff, he's going to be a top 10 quarterback too. He's going to rush for 700 yards. He does rush for 700 yards. He had one touchdown last year. He's going to get five. I mean, that's just a fluke that he got one touchdown. They're going to open it up. If he throws the ball 520, 550 times, which is just league average these days, I mean, and gets seven. I mean, how, how poor does he have to be? If he can get seven yards per attempt, which is below league average, at 500 attempts, which is not much, that's 3,500 yards. You add 700 rushing yards, which are worth double, that's 1,400 passing yard points. That adds up to 4,900 total yards. You know, if Peyton Manning throws for 4,900 and doesn't run for any, that's the same yardage amount that Kaepernick would get on a 700, 3,500 season. And all, all that Kaepernick's really been missing is the attempts. 
I, I think that the entire fantasy industry has missed the boat on the Niners passing offense all preseason. I've been on Kaepernick. I've been on his skill guys uh, in every auction or draft that I've had. I just feel like it's hard for people to grasp in one offseason the extent to which the Niners defense went from really good to really terrible. They're over under Vegas is all the way down to six and a half. I mean, they're going to be bad. And so his volume, Kaepernick's volume is going to be much higher than we have ever seen. And he has talented players to throw to. Torrey Smith is a fine downfield guy. Anquan Bolden, I mean, he, 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 I'd take him on my team any day. Vernon Davis had 13 touchdowns two seasons ago. I mean, you know, there's ways to, there's all those guys have fleas too, but I mean, the perspective upside is, is there for sure. And, and so I own Kaepernick in, in several of my leagues, as well as his skill guys. I, I totally agree with what you're saying there. Okay, finally, before we close out, who's one guy that you did not get that you wanted no part of and that you think is going to be the biggest disappointment? I'm, I'm talking about a top two-round guy that you just, whenever his name came up, you just steered clear. Who is that? Uh, top two guy. Uh, you know, Adrian Peterson scares me a bit. The year off and his age, he's always had a violent running style. I, I, I don't have him on any team, so I, I think I'd have to say him. I, I mean, I can certainly see the upside, but for me, the first your first-round pick should be more about floor than ceiling. And to me, his floor is really, really low. It's scary low for somebody who's drafted that high. Let me tell you mine. Mine you're not going to like because he's on the Stope, on your Stopa Law Firm team, but it's Jamal Charles. I just have a bad vibe. He was banged up early last year. He's missed a season with an ACL. He's starting to get the mileage on him. He's just not built for a lot of punishment, in my opinion. He's not one of those stout you know, running backs. He's kind of he's kind of slight for a running back, and uh, he's great when he's healthy. But I am nervous about Jamal Charles. And, in fact, in a P, it was a three-receiver PPR with a flex in the NFFC main which is a very wide receiver heavy league. And I was picking 10 and I thought my slot was pretty good. Um, when someone took Gronk at eight and I was hoping Odell Beckham went to 10, the guy takes Beckham and that left me with Jamal Charles. And I passed on Charles. I took AJ green over Charles. And a lot of people thought that was crazy, but I, if I don't have a good vibe on a guy, I'm not going to take him in the first round. So that's my guy. They don't have in any leagues. And I just thought I just have something. It doesn't mean he's going to be bad or get hurt. I just, I just felt he was risky. And I think that's perfectly fair. You know, I had a weird feeling about Jordy Nelson. I was bidding on him. And, you know, you, the worst thing you can do is bid on somebody just because the industry tells you you're supposed to or something like that. If you have a bad feeling and then, you know, he did tear an ACL in week one. I mean, how awful would that feel, especially in a league that you want to be able to win? And so I, I can't argue with you, with you there if you got a bad feeling. And, and I mean, I will say Niall Davis you know, he's going to be really good. Maybe not as good as Charles, but he's going to be really good if Charles does go, does go down. So I'm not terribly concerned. You have Davis. It's just, it's just two spots is always tough. But I guess you, know, you, you do get two spots if, if you get a guy with the perfect backup. You do it, right? I if it's a perfect situation. Yeah, I hate handcuffing, but Davis is the perfect backup. I mean, he's a top, he's a, he's a top 10 running back for sure if Charles were out for the year. So, yeah, yeah, I, don't, gotta... I don't know. I'm not sure top 10, but he's, he's good. There's no competition for the job. He'd be used in a similar way. It's like there's – you really – you have to check a lot of boxes to get a backup that works, and he's one of the few. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mark. Appreciate you doing this and coming on, and uh, let's, uh, let's do it again soon. Sounds good. It was fun, Chris. All right. Mark Stopa, uh, Rotowire columnist and the proprietor of the Stopa Law Firm, which sponsors the Stopa Law Firm League. 
You've been listening to the East Coast Offense Podcast, sponsored by FanDuel. FanDuel.com, the leader in one-week fantasy sports.